You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Magecard hits a Philippine media conglomerate. Bogus malicious financial apps are ejected from Google Play. Gulf states are taking warnings about Iran's oil rigs seriously. A cloud hosting service serves up fish. Taiwan believes China is preparing to meddle in its elections. Facebook sets up an anti-disinformation war room. Nebraska sends in the National Guard. And the UK ICO finds Equifax for last year's breach. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, September 20th, 2018. MageCard has struck again, this time in the Philippines, where it's hit the media conglomerate ABS-CBN, the criminal group behind the operation, and there's a loose assembly of several gangs using MageCard, is exfiltrating data to their servers in Russia. MageCard attacks, which have recently infested Ticketmaster and British Airways, are generally thought to be criminal capers as opposed to state intelligence operations. ESET researchers report an infestation of malicious financial apps in Google Play. The apps have since been removed. In operation since June of this year, they presented themselves as apps belonging to the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, the Australia and New Zealand Banking Group Limited, the ASB Bank, the TSB Bank, Post Finance, which is Swiss Post's financial services unit, the Polish bank Zakodny WBK, now rebranded as Santander Bank Polska, and Bitpanda. This last one is the more interesting target. Bitpanda is an Austrian cryptocurrency exchange that doesn't even have an app. Various Gulf states are taking seriously warnings from FireEye about an increase in Iranian government hacking. Much of the recent activity has been associated with the actors involved with the oil rig attacks. Zscaler notes that a cloud hosting service is being abused by hackers. Kojako Pier 1 is hosting domains used to serve a range of phishing attacks and attempts on cryptocurrency wallets. According to Zscaler's blog, the problems have been around since February of this year. See Zscaler's blog for details on the affected domains and be alert for social engineering staged through this particular hosting service. China is in election influence mode. Beijing has opened a campaign to affect Taiwan's coming elections. Since taking office in 2016, President Tsai Ing-wen and her Democratic Progressive Party have starchily rejected China's claims to the island nation. The Sydney Morning Herald reports that the mainland would welcome a change in administration and a more tractable attitude to its claims. Officials in Taiwan note that the country has long served as an attractive proving ground for Chinese operations elsewhere. They're bracing for a coming wave of cyber attacks. 
Determined to do better during this U.S. election cycle, Facebook is offering bipartisan help to campaigns, get-out-the-vote support, and an anti-disinformation war room. The effort will inevitably be labor-intensive. The sort of content moderation the war room aspires to so far defies full automation. In the U.S., we note for the benefit of our international audience and those Americans, most of us alas, who snoozed through high school civics classes, elections are decentralized affairs, with the several states constitutionally responsible for conducting them. And the states are taking various measures to secure not only elections, but other infrastructures as well. California and New York have passed laws and regulations in cyber matters of most concern to them. New Jersey is working on infrastructure protection legislation. And Connecticut does a little bit of chess-beating about the number of cyber attacks it fends off every day. Good job, but don't get cocky there, Hartford. The Center for Cyber Safety and Education has partnered with professional services provider Angility to fund scholarship opportunities for U.S. military veterans in an effort to help close the workforce gap while providing educational advancement for those who have served. Roella Santos is VP of Communications at Ingility. We saw the need for more cyber talent. Um, you've seen the statistics about the cyber talent gap. Center for Cyber Safety and Education is predicting a 1.8 million cybersecurity talent gap by 2022. So we think that veterans are a great source of uh, filling that talent gap. Um, also, Angility, basically veterans, is part of our DNA. Uh, 28% of our employees and 45% of our new hires are veterans. So we have a long history of supporting veteran causes. Uh, DOD is a huge customer of ours. So we're committed and motivated uh, to include veterans in Part, as part of the solution as we address this broader cyber challenge. So can you describe to us uh, what the scholarship is all about, how you engage with veterans, uh, and basically how it all works? Sure. So we partner with the center to promote and solicit applications from veterans. So we divide it up and have awards uh, four in the, mor- in the spring and then four in the fall. Uh, and we suggest that veterans submit their applications online. Um, And there's just a few questions that we ask. We ask that they submit the resume and why they feel that this scholarship will help them as they see the next phase in their cyber career. Uh, The cyber scholarship, which we call Cyber Warrior Scholarship, actually provides training and testing uh, so that they can be certified in cyber, which the ISC Squared organization provides. So these are critical cyber certifications that are needed uh, for people who who want to get into a cyber career. And what specifically uh, do uh, veterans bring to the table here? What 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 are the experiences that uh, that you all find uh, they've gained from their time uh, serving the country? Absolutely, I think three things. Uh, three reasons why we think veterans are ideally suited in cyber careers. First, they already have the mindset to be a cyber warrior. They have the grit and determination because our cyber adversaries are tenacious. So they already have that mindset. Second, they're very patriotic and protective by nature. They're protective of our country, our people, and our economy. 
Uh, and third, cybersecurity gives veterans a lot of flexibility in their careers. So they can continue serving our country as a government or employee or as a contractor, like working for companies like Agility, or they can move into the private sector where everybody from small to large companies to nonprofits all could use cyber expertise. That's Roella Santos from Ingility. You can learn more about the Cyber Warrior Scholarships at the Center for Cyber Safety and Education website. That is imcybersafe.org. Don't delay. There's a deadline for an upcoming round of scholarship awards. It's coming up in just a few days. There's an interesting story unfolding in Nebraska. The town of Beatrice has come under some form of cyber attack. Details aren't being widely shared, but what is being shared, beyond the town's disconnection and reversion to manual backups, is that the FBI is investigating and that the Nebraska National Guard has dispatched cyber incident response teams to help. The use of the Guard in this manner has long been discussed, and Nebraska's employment of the reservist cyber capabilities will be worth watching. It's now been a little more than a year since Equifax disclosed its data breach, and many have commented on what they take to be a surprising lack of enforcement actions. But here's one. The UK's Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, will fine the credit bureau £500,000 for last year's data breach. Some 15 million individuals are believed to have been affected in the UK. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Craig Williams. He's the director of Talos Outreach at Cisco. Craig, welcome back. Um, you know, there's that old joke, uh, that's not a bug, that's a feature. Uh, but then also, I suppose you could add design flaw. Uh, take us through, what's the difference here and why does it matter? So this is a really common thing. And believe it or not, 
we ask ourselves this very often. You know, as you know, we do a lot of vulnerability research. You know, I think when the fiscal year ended, we were over 350 vulnerabilities, which is amazing. It's more than one per business day. Wow. And so we deal with this a lot. <laughs> you know, the way the way it works on our end is if it's a bug and it's considered a security issue, well, the vendor magically gets 90 days to fix it, right? And hopefully they can fix it by then. And if not, we'll have some conversations and sort it out. But on the other hand, if the vendor says that, no, 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 it's supposed to work that way, that's a feature, or no, 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 that's just a design flaw, the software's fine, then a lot of the times they don't want to fix it, hmm. which can put us in a weird situation because on one hand, we want to try and get the issue fixed, but on the other hand, if that's the way that it's supposed to work and the attackers are taking advantage somehow, puts us in a really difficult situation. Now, let's move away from the abstract and talk about a real-world example of this. You know, one of the most recent cases we found this was with some of the MDM research we published. Um, so if you weren't familiar with the MDM research we published, uh, basically what would happen is uh, an adversary would craft a really clever email saying, hey, go to this server on, say, your iPhone and install the managed certificate and, you know, you'll get something out of it. Like you'll get free antivirus or you'll get your phone managed by us and we'll patch it for free. Mm. Something no no reasonable user should do, right? I want right, right. to be very clear. Apple has this locked down pretty well. On enterprise phones, you shouldn't be able to do this because there should already be a certificate on there and that certificate should be locked in place with a password that the user doesn't have. Now, the problem is home users, on the other hand, they don't have a managed device. So when they see these, you know, effectively almost a phishing email and they fall for it and they click on it and it says, Hey, would you like to install the certificate? And they're like, yes. And your iPhone's like, no, seriously, are you really, really sure you want to install the certificate? <laughs> and you know, it's like highlighting no and flashing at you. And they're like, sure. Yes. Uh, well that can get you in a tricky situation, right? Because then what happens is the attacker has basically taken control of your phone. Now the question there is, is that a bug? Hmm. Well, no, that's how a managed device works. Right? Is it a feature? I mean, no, that's just how it works. You know, is it a design flaw? Well, the user's warned about nine times. Right. right? <laughs> what else are they supposed to do? Like make the phone vibrate and blink, and then would that do anything different? Uh, and so when it comes down to these type of bugs, it's a really difficult thing to fix because you're basically forced to figure out how can I work around the user's willingness to be compromised. Now, when you're dealing with a vendor who claims that something is working the way it's supposed to, is it how often is it them um, denying that there's a actual security problem? Are, are they being willfully ignorant, or do they not want to put the effort into doing the fix? No, I don't think that's it. I think some of the time, in order for things to work as designed, you know, they have to have certain functionality, hmm. right? You know, for example, uh, on an enterprise network, you're using the same username and login for your Wi-Fi as you are for your Exchange server sometimes. It's a convenience factor. Well, so what happens if a user clones a Wi-Fi access point and sets up a rogue one? Well, conceivably, they could steal your password, and that would be the same password used everywhere. right? Not, not a security issue. It's more of a design flaw because of credential reuse and the fact that you allowed the laptop to connect to a you know, a cloned access point. But things like that are things where you really have to sit down and think about how everything's engineered and how bad guys could manipulate the system. And that's why this is so important to think about when you're designing a product or when you're designing a way a protocol should work. And it's also something that needs to be kept in mind when you start, you know, expanding the protocol or revising it to the next revision. Right. Craig Williams, thanks for joining us. Our 
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.